With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In this bonus edition of Hoosology, we welcome Chris McSwain, CEO of Top Flight Elite Basketball. In this interview, we talk all things AAU. This is a great interview for Hoops fans looking to learn more about the amateur system. Matt and I really enjoyed the chat. We also learned about what it's been like for him to coach during a pandemic, the effect of YouTube onto the AAU scene, and more. And now, Chris McSwain. I have the pleasure in welcoming Chris McSwain onto Hoopsology. He is the CEO of Top Flight Elite Basketball. How's it going, Chris? I'm doing great, Justin. Thank you for having me, as well as Matt. Appreciate you guys. You're welcome. So, Chris... Thanks for reaching out, and this is something that I've been excited just to talk to you as a potential guest about because I've been relatively curious about the subject of AAU basketball in general because it's a world that you know I see from an outsider just because you know I I don't have any kids and I just never I never played on that level except just you know playing for fun so it's always something that I wanted to really dig into and just just ask an, an expert in that field specific question. So first, Chris, I, can you just go over how you created Top Flight Elite um, AAU basketball and why do you think there is a need for AAU in general within the basketball world? Yeah, so I'll first start off by saying I think, um, you know, sometimes AAU gets a, a negative connotation when it's associated with basketball. And uh, it is a necessary evil um, and I'll, I'll go into a little bit greater detail with that, Justin and Matt. Um, but, you know, how we first started, um, I started coaching high school basketball in 2004. Um, from there, uh, you know, I was just, you know, a, a JV head coach and a varsity assistant. And you're just kind of trying to figure things out. Um, I started helping out with a club basketball program locally in the area. And uh, I just saw a need in our particular area for really teaching the fundamentals, the basics, uh, fundamental skill development. And so, uh, you know, my buddies and I would train some of these, these young kids and uh, these kids wanted an outlet and a team to uh, be able to play and participate on a team. So we decided to create Top Flight Elite. Um, and from there, um, you know, we started very small. Top Flight started with just training kids, and then we had a couple of camps and clinics. And from there, it, it transpired to uh, one team. One team turned into three teams. Three teams quickly turned into 12 teams. 12 teams turned to 20 teams. And then, you know, up until last year, we had 40 teams right before COVID hit um, uh, and, you know, kind of derailed the season. So, uh, you know, it's kind of been a long process over the last seven years but we've had some really fantastic coaches involved with it. We've had some really high level players to come through our program. Um, and the parents that have supported us over the years have been extremely paramount uh, in us really growing this thing to where, where it has been. Um, but uh, to get to your second part of your question, why is it necessary? I think there are a certain number of programs that really do things the right way. And just like any walk of life, there's good and bad, whether that be 
whether that be coaches, there's good and bad coaches, whether that be politicians, there's good and bad politicians, whether that be uh, podcast hosts like yourself, you guys are great, but obviously there might be some bad, <laughs> bad ones out there too. Sure. So, um, you know, the negative connotation comes from those bad and not everything is bad. There are a lot of great programs specifically in our area that do it the right way. We try to do it the right way. Um, and our, our only goal, we have two of them. One is did the kids have fun in our program? That is extremely important because that's why kids sign up for sports because it's a fun outlet for them to have. And secondly um, would be, did they learn about basketball? But along those lines, more importantly, because of the things that they learn with basketball, will they will that tra help them translate to uh, a better individual off the court? Um, and that's been extremely paramount for our program to instill those values every single every single team, um, whether you're with us for one year or your, the, the entire uh, duration of your youth basketball career. Uh, we want to make sure those ideals are always paramount. And I think people or older people, adults like us, they when they start to think that it's because of them, this kid is going to this Division One school or college or, or what have you, that's where this generation of clout chasing and things like that have really changed the dynamics. And I think that's where the negative connotation comes because if done the correct way, AAU basketball could be a great outlet for kids to have fun. It could also teach them values that they're going to use the rest of their life. And ultimately, if they want to pursue their career beyond high school, AAU is a great benchmark to do that. And Chris, do you think that is the best path through AAU basketball. If you have a, um, I would guess, child or um, young adult looking to take their career to the next um, level, whether that's college, college or professionally, whether it's internationally or in the states, um, just because you know traditionally it has been just through high school. Um, so, how has I guess AAU changed the dynamic in you know trying to get recruited, trying to get the right eyeballs? on that person that wants to uh, pursue uh, basketball past just high school? There's, there's, there's many different paths you can take to get to where you want to get to. Uh, AAU basketball is thriving because in the spring and summer, that is where all these high-level tournaments are happening. So uh, obviously pre-COVID, but every single year, there would be national tournaments, and a lot of them ended up in Vegas the final uh, week of summer basketball. And so you would have all of the coaches in one area. Um, and so that made it easy for coaches to get around and see multiple players where some of these really high level tournaments, what happens is you can, you know, you can house all of these really high level teams in one place. So all the coaches can congregate and watch, um, whether that be the ESPN top 150 or kids that are a little bit lower. Um, and that that is kind of where this model has come from, because if you are a high school, uh, if you are a high school and you're a really good high school player, the only way to get seen for the most part is now considered with your club affiliation or playing on the AAU circuit. If you don't, it's going to be a lot more difficult for you to be seen because all the coaches are coaching during that time that you're playing high school basketball. And so you have to be a really high level recruit in order for you to have the opportunity for coaches to come wanting to come see your high school. 
Now, if they see you on the circuit or you're playing against one of these teams and they say, hey, hey, that kid is really good, now they can kind of put you on the list and then follow up. And then, you know, they might come to their high school open gyms, usually in September um, before their season kind of kicks off and they can kind of recruit them differently. Uh, but AAU, I think, is a necessity at this point. Um, it is not the only way. Uh, almost all the kids that end up playing in, in, in college play AAU basketball. That's not to say that all of them do, but a high majority do. Um, and then if you, you can always go the prep school route too, you know, so that's been popular a lot. Um, and, you know, you even now see kids that are skipping the uh, college ranks altogether and playing professionally. You think about, you know, LaMelo Ball, who's now with the Charlotte Hornets, or Jalen Green, who will be a top five pick coming up. Um, he plays in the, in the, in the G, uh, D League, or G League, excuse me, the old G, uh, the old. D League, but he plays in the G League. Um, and, you know, I've seen that kid because he's not too far from our area, but, you know, he went to he went to a regular high school. He was going to be go to any college he wanted to. He decided to finish his career at a prep school because he could play, play at a national level. And he could have gone any school he wanted to. Every college would have wanted him to play. Uh, but he decided to, you know, bet on himself and get paid as well. Um, a pretty substantial salary for a young kid instead of, you know, making this money for the uh, university. Um, and now he's playing in the G League. He'll be a top five pick next year. Awesome. Chris, can you – thank you for that wonderful explanation, for, first and foremost. Um, can you, just for the sake of, of clarification and being really clear about all of this, AU is just a mechanism that provides a structure if you determine, like, like you mentioned, you had a community in need – of more basketball or infrastructure to get more kids uh, the ability to be to play, to learn these skills, to have fun, to be seen. Uh, so AAU is just really providing the infrastructure, correct? And it, it can be very, very different in every single community. Definitely. Um, the majority of the kids that play AAU basketball will never play college basketball. You know, that's a, a misnomer. So there are so many benefits to actually playing AAU basketball, organized basketball with your community, the kids that you grew up with, the kids that you go to school with. And uh, you're going to always remember those those trips. If you're going on a travel trip and you're staying in hotels and, you know, you're staying up late and going swimming in the swimming pool and eating um, you know, together at these team dinners, you know, that's really what the AAU uh, that I'm talking about, you know, hardly any of our kids, well, a lot of our kids go on to college, but it's uh, it's a small percentage compared to all the ones that come through the program. So you're completely right, Matt, it is just a vehicle for kids to utilize. Um, and if done with the correct program, uh, with the right structure, it could be a really great experience. The negative experiences you might see um, because there's a lot of money involved, especially with the shoe brand teams, you know, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, they all have their, their summer circuits. And a lot of those teams are fully sponsored. And those teams are extremely, extremely attractive to individuals that want to play in college or eventually wanted to play in the pros. Um, so that's kind of where, you know, the the AAU kind of gets its uh, name and uh, you're completely right. It's a, it's, a, it's a separate thing. The majority of these kids aren't playing in college. They're not playing in the pros. They're just playing with their community and the friends that they have growing up. 
Uh, and for the most part, it's a great experience for people. It's when adults kind of get in the way of that experience. And that's, you know, that, that for me, you know, being a high school coach myself too, um, you know, I think that the level of play in AAU basketball is not the same. It's, it's definitely a different game. When you when when you're in a high school structured environment, you practice every single day. Uh, well, at least five or six days a week with the off day on Sunday. You're scouting these teams in your league and in your area. Uh, in AAU basketball, you're playing five, six, seven, even possibly eight games in a three three day or two day span. So there's no way that the same structure can 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 be in place. So, you know, does AAU play too many games? Possibly. I mean, I don't think kids should be playing 100 games a year if you're if you're including AAU 50 games in the summer and 30 games in high school. Like that's a lot. Um, so we try to we try to get the miles off the kid as much as possible, but um, like I said earlier, it's a necessary evil, but if done the co correct way, which there are so many programs that are, um, I think it could be a valuable and great experience for people. Awesome. Um, Chris, I wanted to ask you in terms of, I guess, the media and specifically former players, um, you mentioned earlier the kind of the negative perception of AAU. And I think, at least for me, I kind of get that watching inside the NBA. They always bring it up in terms of a kind of a negative connotation in terms of, hey, these players know each other before they get into the pros. The killer instinct is gone. Um, they're buddy-buddy. Like, that kind of cutthroat mentality when, you know, when I was playing is gone because of AAU. Ken? You kind of dispel that, Roop, just that, I guess, myth. And why do you think they think that? I know, I think Kitty Smith, had, I believe, has an AAU team affiliated, I think, with the Mamba Academy, I believe. Um, I guess besides that, why do you think they go so hard against AAU? And that seems not to be the case at all. You know, it's um, as I get older, the stories that I tell get better, you know. So <laughs> uh, I think that's the same way for them. You know, they think that... Uh, and I hope I'm never this get off your lawn type of guy. Sure. I hopefully I always have this, you know, this open-minded mindset. You know, basketball is 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 more skilled than it's ever been. Um, I think the game has developed to to uh, just elite stature. You know, it's it's so popular amongst the youth right now. It's um, you know, football uh, is is obviously the most most watched sport. Um, Baseball used to be America's pastime, but I'm, I'm a firm believer that basketball is now America's pastime. Agreed. And a lot of it is coming from the AAU ranks. Uh, you talked about Kenny Smith. He does have a program out based in L.A. Uh, called Aim High Basketball, yeah, right. if it's still named that. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people in the industry, you know, Matt Barnes has a team with his yeah. with his two twins on it. Uh, Kendrick Perkins has a, has a team with his son on it. Um, Zach Randolph, you, you name it. All these guys have teams. Tyler Johnson, who plays for the Brooklyn Nets, his brothers uh, played in our program. They grew up with us and he sponsored um, our teams for two years under Tyler Johnson Elite. So these guys are doing all that and giving back. But they also want the best players on those teams, too. If, you know, uh, if, if my son is playing, I want him to play with and against the best. So they're trying to attract the best players on those teams to play with whether the team that they coach or uh, their, their sons or daughters or, or what have you. Um, I had on my podcast, uh, you know, one of Kobe Bryant's um, uh, assistant coaches. And he said they had them going five days a week in the summer 
you know, uh, five days a week um, to get, you know, to get everything they can uh, skill development wise, you know, mentally, physically, all of that. Um, And uh, it's just, it's just one of those things. But going back to your original question, uh, I think just, you know, you have nostalgia. I think that's the one thing that makes people think their era is always better. And uh, I've never been one of those people, but when I look back on it, some of the times I I start telling stories, you think that it was better, but you know, in my opinion, basketball is never better than it's ever, this is better than it's ever been, um, whether that be, you know, in the nineties, two thousands, back in the seventies, you're not, I mean, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is basically Giannis. If you think about that, maybe a a few inches uh, height disparate, uh, a few inches differently on their height, but that's basically Giannis. And, yeah. you know, LeBron is, uh, you know, a power forward like Carl Malone. They're the same size. And, you know, what LeBron is able to do and all these people are able to do, I just think the game is changing. You have to have an open mind, but everybody, uh, everybody's entitled to their opinion. And, and if, if they want to tell their stories the way they see it, I have, I have no idea. I, I don't have any problems with it. I actually love and enjoy that type of talk and that rhetoric because uh, it's just, it's just, it makes for good TV. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, Chris, piggybacking off that point for, for you as a coach with these young players coming in, how do you coach the fundamentals now? Maybe any differently from when you started now that the three point shot continues to evolve and be a more and more prevalent part of the game. Um, you know, you certainly, uh, have, you know, speaking of that, that old nostalgia, a lot of people will say, uh, like, man, I really miss the Patrick, you bigs inside that kind of thing. But I'm sure as someone developing talent, you don't want to limit, uh, you know, a potential, uh, five who's going to play in college. You don't want to limit them developing Twitter shot or things like that in, in the modern NBA. Um, so, how do you kind of balance that uh, and how do you direct your your coaching now? Or how has that changed over time now that the three-point shot is, uh, even even just since 2010, the league is looking a lot different? Right. Um, I think it was Jalen Rose that said it, and I follow a bunch of his stuff that he does. Um, he talked about uh, positions were only provided for the layman to be able to understand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was a tall point guard. You know, but he's listed as a small forward, but he was a point guard. Um, he played point guard for the Fab Five. He played point guard in Indiana when Reggie Miller uh, and them were together and, and things like that. So, um, you know, positionless basketball is kind of where everything has been headed. You'll see in the NBA five out situations all of the time. They now want their bigs, you know, to be stretch fours, or now they call them stretch fives because they want to be able to stretch the defense out. Um, You know, I think uh, the innovation to the three-point line that you mentioned is is a game changer where you have to pick up Steph Curry and Damian Lillard as soon as they cross half court. <laughs> it's just an, it's, it's just uh, amazing how the game has developed. You talk about Daryl Morey and the Houston Rockets creating this whole system based on small ball. Uh, the Warriors' death lineup. Everybody was under the 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 height of six foot seven or six foot eight or something somewhere around that. Um, and then, you know, people are becoming really proficient at shooting the three. Steph Kurt, well, before I get to Steph, everybody marvels at when people shoot 40% or more from three. Uh, and, 
Steph Curry's done it every single year of his career. Uh, not, <laughs> not, not just this year, every single year. Insane. He, he is not only the lead guard, he is the vanguard of the new school of basketball. So back to the popularity, and I'll get to your point, Matt, um, at the very end. This is where a kid that is, you know, 6'2", 6'3", you know, could feel like, hey, I can, I can be that. They're never, ever, ever going to be Giannis or LeBron. That's just a, 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 a very rare, a very rare thing for somebody to have that size, that athleticism, that, you know, that level of skill. But people can hope to be Steph Curry and uh, because of his size. They can really identify with him. Um, and so uh, how I've changed my coaching over the years, uh, you know, when we used to practice, it was always a block practice. We would have, you know, layups. We'd do that for 10 minutes with no contest. And it ended up being like a dunk line when I was in high school, right? Um, and then you go into maybe some full court three out two, two on one. It was all block. And, you know, that's how a lot of us were ingrained when we were growing up playing the game. But what's happened is, you know, the game is extremely changing. Um, and you have to be able to adapt like like that as the game is evolving. And so, uh, you know, there's this there's this guy named Chris Oliver. He runs the basketball podcast, um, which is a fabulous podcast, which talks technical and tactical basketball. But he really gets you to think what actually happens in the game. OK, so you'll see a trainer and, and trainer is probably another subject that you guys can talk about. But, you know, doing all these different combo moves for kids that are 10 years old that can't even really dribble with their left hand. But yet they're teaching them in and out, teaching a euro step and, and all of this. So I said that to say this simplicity is extremely important when teaching the game. Jump stops, fundamentals, all of Steph's like real real um uh highlight highlight real stuff like if he crosses somebody it's over it's because it is so detailed and you know his step backs are so detailed but he makes the defender look silly but it's really a basic move so um you know for me i always i teach you know three dribbles or less if you can't really do it in three dribbles you can't really do you're not going to really do that in a game nobody's going to be james harden you know he's he, he's elite at what he does he's one of the best to ever play in a one-on-one -on -one space but for kids can you catch and shoot i think shooting is going to be the most important what are the fundamentals of the shot um you know starting from the ground up and really focusing on that form that you must have in order to be a prolific shooter. You know, some, some kids think they can shoot, but can they really, well, let's, let's, you know, well, let's calculate your shots. What are you shooting when nobody's guarding you? If you're shooting about 70% when nobody's guarding you, you'll be, you'll have a really good opportunity to shoot a high percentage in the game, which is what you're trying to do. Um, so uh, a long answer to your question, Matt, is keeping it very simple. Um, you know, teaching the fundamentals, jump stops, really able to hand the ball, handle the ball, pass the ball with both hands, you know, post entry passes, uh, those sort of things. And the last thing I would say is to the players, play to your strengths and coaches, coach to your personnel, not a system. And that will allow you to be that positionless where it's uh, not necessarily a position, but actually the skill of basketball. Awesome. Great answer.
Chris, um, can you discuss what role YouTube has had on AAU basketball in terms of sites like Ball's Life and other kind of uh, YouTube channels that you know I see, like you know seventh graders, eighth graders, sixth graders um, showing their games up on YouTube, and they they catch fire in terms of being viral. Um, how that's changed things because. You know, pre-social media, normally buzz would occur through maybe high school prospects when they were a junior or a senior, but now we're seeing them on like a middle school level. Is that like a lot of unfair pressure on, on these kids that they're just trying to still be a kid and develop when, you know, they have this pressure of, you know, social media? I mean, we all know how toxic social media can be, and now they have to deal with, you know, the positives of being, you know, possibly famous but the negatives of just being, you know, the pressure of being like a professional athlete when they're in middle school. So, so how do you, how do you feel about um, just this new wave of just digital media covering kind of these prep prospects? Yeah, that's a, that's a really tough question, Justin. Um, and uh, I don't really know the right answer. I, I, I am a proponent of kids, you know, showcasing their talents, gifts and abilities. I do think that is, is great when it is monetized for uh, the gain of adults. That's where I think the line needs to be drawn. Um, you know, social media is with us. It's not going anywhere. Sure. So instead of poo-pooing on social media, for me, I like to, you know, see how you can use it to your benefit. Sure. Um, you know, Ball is Life has been a great platform for so many. We would have never seen zion williamson or uh lamello ball when they uh you know if this was 10 or 15 years ago you know so it's, it's allowed players like that to be really showcased um you know i don't mind if a young kid wants to put their highlights on youtube i think it's a great thing and hey you know they can send it with their friends most of the kids that put their stuff on there are not going to be famous um so we're probably talking about the top two percent but i would say in the in answering your question, Justin, if it's the top 2%, I hope they have a really good family structure in place because you have to be able to take the good with the bad. When you're in a public spotlight, um, you know, just think about any politician or any athlete, like they're gonna have a lot of eyeballs on them and they can have so many people that are, you know, uh, fans of theirs but they may get one negative tweet or one negative comment on Instagram or YouTube, and that can really derail their confidence. So I would say, you know, for parents, most importantly, really pump your kids up to not, whether, whether it is positive or negative, don't, don't get too excited one way or the other. Um, you know, uh, one of my favorite books is It Takes What It Takes by Trevor, Trevor Moad, and he's Russell Wilson's, um, you know, brain trainer. Um, and, the, the talk of, the talk is really about neutral thinking and neutralizing your thoughts. The good doesn't matter, the bad doesn't matter. We're somewhere in between. And uh, I think that's the best way to go about it. But uh, it definitely definitely is interesting, man. Um, you know, for kids growing up, uh, the social media can be a gift and a curse. Yeah. And Chris, um, I wanted to also ask you personally, how has it been, you know, coaching through the pandemic? I mean, has it been more challenging? Have you had to really adjust to your strategies in terms of maybe having more Zoom practices? Um, what have you done to kind of adjust to this new uh, kind of paradigm shift? And and once you know we get out of this pandemic, do you think there'll be a transitional period for um, 
the athletes under you to adjust to life going back to normal? Yeah. Um, during this COVID, I think it's thought, taught everybody one thing, and that is you have to be very, very flexible and fluid with your planning, with, um, you know, just thinking for the fe- forecasting for the future. You have to be very specific in, you know, how you are able to adapt and change. So for us with the high school team, um, you know, our, the la- our last game the next day is when this, everything got shut down. So that was really interesting to, uh, to kind of go through that. We were hearing some rumblings about COVID uh, and we were in our state playoff game. Um, and that was the last game that took place in California that day. There was no more games that were, that were being played after that. So uh, from there, we actually had a, a, a documentary that was done on our team, our high school team last year by Get Sports Focus. And so early on in the pandemic, we would kind of, just like the last dance, we would watch our documentary together as a team on Zoom. So that was one way that we kind of got together. Um, The other thing is when the social justice stuff that was going on in May, you know, we would have weekly meetings to talk about that. Um, But in, in particular, how we changed, we started going digitally. So, you know, there's, there's a great app called Home Court. And what the app allows you to do is input workouts and the kids can do them on their phone. So I can put whatever workout we, we want to do through the app and the kids actually do it. And then uh, it'll report back. So I can see every single shot that kid took. However, uh, they could do the dribbling workouts and however long that took. Um, so you can, you can, you can follow along. And so we tried to make it a game just like we have. So we have a summer program starting every June, you know, we, we work out, we do, uh, we lift in our human performance center at the school. And then we have practice two to two hours a week or two hours a day. So it would be three hours. So one hour working out and two hours in the gym. So we just decided to flip that. Um, I got uh, gift cards for the winners. And so we created a whole point system and we were going to be in teams of four. So we had 12 kids on our team. And so, you know, team one, team two, team three, there's six points that you can get for the day. If you do the hit workout on YouTube and record it uh, and send it to your team captain, which was our assistant coaches, they would get one point for that. Okay. And then if you did the ball handling workout, you get one point for that. And everything was tracked and scaled. Uh, If you did the shooting workout, out you get uh two points for that and then if you if you made an extra um 153s which would give you 500 makes for the day then you would get two extra points so um we had a five point scale and you can get five points every single day and then um there would be uh bonus bonus rounds where you're going to get an extra point if we did um like a scavenger hunt on zoom so we'll be in zoom all right go to your kitchen and get a spatula first person to get it um here's a spatula you get a point for your team or doing trivia things like that just anything to stay engaged really has been um, extremely important for for the kids uh because they're used to being in person Still, we haven't been able to play a game here in California. Um, you know, hopefully that will change soon. But we've been trying to adapt with outdoor workouts, or we've been at school um, since we're a private school, so we've been able to get the kids on campus. So we'll we'll do some shooting in the gym one time a week, but um, we haven't really had uh, any full practices or anything like that. Just skill stuff. 
Um, but it's been difficult. Uh, you know, hats off to the kids for going through this. Adults, we can complain a lot, but the kids rarely complain. Um, and that's the one thing that I've seen throughout this whole COVID, um, just being able to adapt and make a way where there is no way. You know, um, I, I go by the term win. And that means what's important now. What's important now is we don't know when we're going to play, but we are going to prepare like we are going to have a season. If we do have a season, great. If not, you're still going to play club basketball because other states are open and you can travel out there and play. So um, that's what we've been trying to do during this whole COVID with coaching uh, through the Zoom. Um, um, and Chris, I want to ask you because you also coach um, – girls as well and in terms of women's basketball i think there was a huge leap forward in terms of the WNBA, and even through this season seeing on um, page buckers out of yukon um really attract a lot of uh, a- attention as well as sabrina and um how do you see that the women's game really transforming as well because we mentioned social media also and from a positive aspect um, with Paige in particularly i mean she gained a lot of buzz when she was in high school um and so i think now, from a kind of popularity standpoint, we're seeing, I guess, the women's games get a lot of the same buzz as the men in terms of seeing those prospects rise from the prep level to college and to the pros. So do you see that correlating in, into an increase in women's basketball within the lat- in the next couple of years? And do you see your um, – the athletes you coach maybe aspiring to to reach that WNBA level where maybe I don't know 10 years ago maybe that wasn't necessarily a you know strong path now because of the popularity it is now definitely um I'm a big proponent of the women's game obviously as being a a women's varsity head basketball coach uh, I used to coach boys my first eight years of high school and then the last eight years I've been coaching girls so um, it's been interesting to see the differences between the two, um, in my opinion, the, there aren't that many differences. Uh, you know, kids are going to be kids. You have your, you know, kids that work hard. There's kids that don't work hard. Um, and I just, I just had to. The only thing that I really had to change was uh, just, just the per, interpersonal relationships are very, very important when dealing with the girls. But um, as you can see, Paige and Sabrina uh, and, and, and so many more they're really allowing people to see, wow, these girls are really good at basketball. You know, I'll have my friends and a lot of them played college, college sports uh, come play us and they're surprised by how good our team is um, because, you know, they're, they're really skilled. They're good. You know, they're tall. Our, our team, we have six kids over six foot, you know, um, and that is, uh, that is just, you're just seeing the change in the evolution of what, women's basketball is and it's becoming more popular before you would say you would ask a player hey who's your favorite player and they might mention a man uh, a man uh lebron or steph curry or something like that now they're saying you know diana tarasi sue bird or Paige or sabrina and that's been really cool um one of the best things that i've seen you know recently and this is this is another tragic reason uh why it's uh you know it's so saddening that kobe bryant is no longer here he was changing the the perception for so many male athletes because he was so invested in the women's game because his daughter was a phenomenal up-and-coming player and Kobe was around the women's game. That WNBA hoodie that everybody was wearing in the NBA bubble 
that's because of Kobe. Kobe was wearing that hoodie a long time ago before it even got popular, um, you know, with his daughter on the sidelines at these games. And that's where the women's game has shifted. You know, Kyrie, uh, you know, trying to assist the women in, you know, uh, helping uh, facilitate their pay and donating money to the to the women that uh, uh, to the women's game because you know the 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 men get paid so much more than than the women and just seeing the popularity um, I know a number of WNBA players my cousin's a WNBA player for the Indiana Fever um, she's been a long time NBA, WNBA veteran so she comes and speaks to our team um, things like that so just just seeing the positivity of the women's game they're so skilled. And, you know, one of the biggest things that really irks me about, um, you know, men in particular, when they talk about the women's game, well, the, the girls aren't athletic or anything like that. Well, it's just a different game. And yeah. if, you really, if you're really a purist about basketball, you watch the women's game, it's, it's just so fundamentally sound. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the play is unselfish. It's not like the ball stops with the men. Um, and uh, it's just a really fluid game, similar to how the Warriors have played, you know, from 2015 till now, where it's just really fluid. The open player gets the ball. They're going to if they have an open shot, they're going to take it um, and things like that. So and I would challenge any man to play a division one or two or three college player and see if you can keep up because I highly doubt it. And there's zero, 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 zero chance that you could pick five of your boy, five of your buddies to go play a WNBA group and win. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, no, no chance on that. Um, Chris, before we let you go, one last question. Um, and we, we, we've got to ask you about the, the, the NBA season so far. What are your overall thoughts? Um, I know a lot of games have been postponed. Um, you know, recently Anthony Davis got hurt, you know, with the big trade in Brooklyn. What do you make of this season? And who do you see as kind of the favorites to be in the NBA finals? Man, I love the NBA right now. It's been, it's been awesome. Um, just, if you think about it, it's like a soap opera every single year, whether that be in July when all the free agency starts to happen, uh, players are moving from team to team. Um, it is like AAU to our earlier uh, topic where the, the guys are picking where they want to go play and you're seeing the, the player empowerment era at its, at its fullest. Um, so the NBA has been fantastic. I love watching all the games, um, you know, the, the com competitive nature, especially with uh, no fans is really driving, uh, really driving the, 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 the competitive spirit of the athletes. You know, Kyrie the other night trolling LeBron and saying, um, I don't know if you saw that, but yeah. he was saying, you got this guy shooting your free throws. He's your best. <laughs> throw shooter. Um, it's just, it's just truly amazing. Um, and so with, uh, with, with the bubble, that was that was a complete success. Um, obviously, some games have been postponed this year, um, but as far as the game goes, it's it's in a really great place. There's so much parity now in the NBA. You lose two games, you could drop out of the playoffs, or you win four or five in a row. Like if the Warriors, you know, the Warriors also lost two on the road, but they uh, if they would have won those games, they might be in the four seed at that point. And so. You just never know what's going to happen. Injuries can derail a whole season because the benches aren't as strong as they as they as they used to be, um, because they're so top heavy with the, the two really main stars. And then in Brooklyn, obviously, you got three main stars. And I'm excited to see how that all works out in Brooklyn. I think um, 
you know, defensively you talk about that, but those guys can score at a high clip. And if they're going to be unselfish, they, you know, I think they're the favorite in the East, just like Vegas has them. Um, and depending on what, like you mentioned, Anthony Davis, how long is that going to happen? I don't think the Lakers care what seed they get because if there are no fans, it really doesn't matter. You know, you got two of the best five players in the NBA if they're healthy. Um, and I want to see how the Clippers are going to bounce back. I think Utah's had a really great season. I mean, the last 20 games, Utah has been fantastic. They're the best mm-hmm. team in the league. Uh, and so, and, and you don't want to see the Warriors on a, on a, if, if Steph gets hot, you know, he can, he can really lead a team. So it's a, it'll be interesting if you had to, if you had to put my, um, you know, uh, if you had to put me under the flame, I would say, I think the LA Clippers are going to come out of the West. Mm. Um, the, reason, the reason being uh, last year in the bubble, you know, the struggles are well-documented with uh, Paul George. I think Kawhi is in a different space. I think the bubble, uh, things that I've been hearing on different podcasts, it really was a struggle for a lot of these guys. And now if you take that, if they go back into the bubble, I don't know. But if they're, if they're at, in their own homes, I think uh, the L.A. Clippers will, will, will come out of the West uh, huh. because Anthony Davis is a key. The, the, the Lakers would have zero chance to win. If uh, if he's not there, so I would take them and I would take Brooklyn out of the East. I think uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals, it's going to be Philadelphia and Brooklyn. Brooklyn just has too much star power. You've got a game from KD, you've got a game from Kyrie, you've got a game from James Harden, and then and then you might get a game from all three of those guys. It's just going to be uh, very very interesting to see. Seventy two games is is lightning quick. We're almost uh, halfway through the season. And then um, the plan is going to be awesome. I want to see Steph. I want to see Dane. I want to see, you know, all these guys. I want to see Lamelo. I want to see all of them in a in a uh, in a small little tournament round robin thing where they can try to fight their way into the playoffs. And uh, what a what a great, you know, spring and summer we're we're looking forward to as far as NBA goes. Agreed. Um, Chris, thank you very much for joining the show. Really appreciate it. Please plug where we can find you on social media and what you're up to in um, the rest of this year. Yeah, uh, you can you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter, uh, Chris underscore underscore McSwain, M-C-S-W-A-I-N. And then, um, you know, Top Flight Elite Basketball Football uh you can follow those on Instagram. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. I re- really love uh, the networking on LinkedIn. So that's been pretty cool. So you can just follow me, Chris McSwain there. Um, and this year, we've got a lot of really great things in, in store. You know, um, coming back with our AAU basketball seasons, we are, we're getting ready to start tryouts here uh, in March and uh, go from there. But, uh, yeah, just looking forward to our AAU basketball season, Valley Christian girls basketball as well. Um, so, yeah. And Chris, you have a podcast as well, right? Yes. Oh, yes. That's right. Yeah, I have a podcast called Beyond the Buckets. Um, you know, uh, I like conversations like this, meeting, you know, both of you, both of you guys for the first time. Um, it's called Beyond the Buckets. I bring on individuals from, the, from coaches to uh, entertainers to, you know, uh, educators to help people, you name it. I just, I'm having good conversations with people, and that's been a blast. It's like getting a master class. For, for each one of these people that uh, 
that I'm interviewing has been um, so influential to to me continuing to try to pour out and give to others. Like before the pandemic and before Kobe passed, you know, I didn't really want to share a whole lot. I wanted to keep all my ideas, my ideas. But as 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 um, you know, the pandemic progressed, as well as you know, the untimely death of Kobe Bryant, I was just like, our time can be long here on this earth, but in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's pretty short. So you got to try to do as much as you can, spread as much love as you can out there to the world because um, you never know who you're going to impact. Agreed. Uh, Chris, thank you very much for joining us. I think if I speak for Matt that we really enjoy the chat. I'm mm-hmm. hoping to have you on again in the near future. Thanks for joining us. You guys are awesome. I love what you do. I started uh, listening to a bunch of the podcasts that you guys have put together. Extremely, extremely professional. Well done. You guys do your great research. And uh, man, I'm so thankful to have, to have this platform to talk on your podcast. And you guys keep on going. I can't wait to see where you guys take it. Awesome. Thank you so Appreciate much, it, Chris. Chris. All the best.